Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. My name's Josh. The guy across from me, his name's Chuck. Say hi, Chuck. Hi, how are you? Hey, Chuck. Uh, you know, I was reading an article today, and uh, basically they've recently found out that air pollution, as if it weren't bad enough for your lungs, right. it actually interferes with your heart's electrical activity. You're kidding. No, no, I would not kid about that, Chuck. I take the heart's electrical activity very seriously. I bet you do. Yeah, so um, basically the, the our bodies can kind of get rid of particles. Right. Then there's fine particles, which are a little more difficult. Now we have something called ultra-fine particles, which I've are like sub-microscopic. Mm-hmm. They basically get into your body and just wreak all manner of havoc. Right. And as far as I know, we weren't aware that it really interfered with any process of the heart up to this point. But, uh, yeah, basically, um, I think it was the uh, Journal of the American Heart Association where this uh, study was published. And w- when somebody undergoes some sort of heart surgery, that kind of thing, they, they recommend that they avoid traffic anyway, Right. For stress levels and exactly, stuff. yeah, yeah, because you know how upset you get in traffic. I've seen you. Don't don't pretend like you don't. No, I take the subway, bro. I'm I'm traffic free. Right, and why do you take the subway? Because traffic makes me crazy. Precisely. So they they used to recommend that that heart patients stay away from traffic for two to three weeks after getting back from the hospital, and they still do. But now for this other reason, because you know all this traffic pollution can interfere with your heart's electrical activity. Is this only in big cities or is it across the board? Oh, across the board, I would imagine. Because, I mean, if you if you have your window rolled down and you're in any kind of traffic, you're just sucking that stuff in. Of course. And now some places are worse than others. I, I know one place where <laughs> they would recommend you not drive after a heart attack. Where, where would that be? China. China, yes. Yeah. Pretty much anywhere in China. There are some rural parts of China that are um, pretty clean, you know, lots of trees, that kind of thing, but... Just about any city in China is going to have a pretty high level of pollution. As a matter of fact, uh, as far as I know, in 2006, the World Bank, Fine Bank, uh, conducted a survey of the 20 most polluted cities in the world. This is amazing to me. 16 of the 20 were in China. I know. That's, that's four fifths. I know. Right? Yeah, that's four fifths. By my math, that sounds good to me. That is a lot. Uh, so I don't know if Beijing fell off of that because they, China pulled out all the stops to, to keep Beijing's pollution down during the Olympics. Well, I know. I remember watching, uh, I believe some, was it cyclists, U.S. cyclists that kind of caused a little bit of a stir when they showed up in Beijing wearing uh, masks, breathing masks. I hadn't seen that. I, I oh, know yeah. that all manner of athletes were saying that they may not go compete in Beijing because they took very seriously the damage it was going to do to their bodies. Yeah, they were walking around uh, wearing masks, and a lot of people were pretty upset about that. Yeah, well, I mean, how can you blame them? I've seen pictures. I've never been to Beijing. Neither have but I. But unless these photos were retouched, it was it was pretty serious stuff. Well, I think I know where this is leading. Yeah, I think you do, too, because, you know, we planned it out ourselves. Right, pollution sniffing. Right. Um, there was a, a group that was assembled, and as far as I know, they weren't assembled specifically for the Olympics. Uh, I don't think they've been disbanded, I guess is what I mean now that the Olympics are over, um, to walk around uh, a province in China, uh, the Guangdong province. Right. Please forgive me, any anyone of Chinese ancestry or from China, for that terrible, terrible pronunciation. But uh, they, they walk around the uh, Guangdong province and sniff out air pollution. And they're trained to do so. Very highly trained, actually. Yeah, it's it's it's... 
kind of an unbelievable thing, but it's really true. It, it is true. It is true. Uh, again, I've never met any of these people, but uh, I can tell you from all reports, this is this is a real thing. Um, basically, they took they took a group of, I guess, above average smellers. I imagine that they're probably not smokers. There were some requisites. Yeah, sure. Um, and they took them into this this laboratory and uh, had them sniff different noxious smells to train their senses. Correct. Sure, right. Yeah. Yeah, and, but they did it very intensively. And there's actually a study um, that came out of, I think, Northwestern uh, that showed that the more you sniff a certain smell, the more of an expert you become in it. Right. You can hone in and get more specific within mm-hmm. that smell. It becomes Correct. much more complex. Right. So, I mean, for example, if you smell a flower, a certain flower, first time you smell it, you've created a uh, – it's been coded. There's right. a, There's a sense memory in your brain, a exactly. smell memory. And um, anytime you see that uh, that kind of flower, that scent memory is probably going to be triggered. You, so you'll be getting this visual information like, oh, there's that flower, and this is what it smells like, you know? Um, so once it becomes coded, it's there, but it can the complexity of our idea of what the thing smells like can be expanded and, and subtracted from as far as the I more know, you refined. smell. It. Sure. So this generally happens over time, like you smell the flower once in a while. And, right. You know, with the China pollution sniffers, uh, this was a very intensive training period. It was over and over again, smell this sulfur, smell this sulfur. You Locked have no in, choice. You right. Know? Locked Elbow in a room. the back of the neck kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Locked in a room smelling these things. And it's not a pleasant task. And they even are on record as saying that it is no fun. No, because they were also trained to smell uh, harmless smells as well noxious like like terribly offensive odors but ones that weren't necessarily harmful right so apparently these people were trained to walk past any you know garbage dump or smokestack and go you know there's x amount of sulfur in there and i smell a little black carbon and maybe some dog poop that's not that bad but it's in there i can tell you because i've been trained and an egg roll sure maybe so maybe so spring roll to say the least so uh the one thing I I never figured out was why. I get the who, the how, the when, the what. I never figured out the why. Why would you train people to smell? Well, I would think because they could uh, pinpoint, you know, pollution and do something about it. Or is that not the case? Well, we we could anyway with electronic sensors. Are you talking about the NASA device? That's one of many. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure if you want, I've got car keys. I know you took the train, but we could go to Radio Shack right now, and I'm pretty sure we could probably find some sort of olfactory sensing device, an electronic version of it. At Radio Shack? Probably. Huh? If it were a good Radio Shack, it right. would depend on the location. Um, but I, I don't understand like why you would train humans to do this. The the one clear point is you can send the the Radio Shack or the NASA olfactory sensor out, sure. and it will report back. You know, there's this many parts per million of you know carbon dioxide or sulfur or whatever in the air, but it's not going to have any reaction. A human would, right? So it's the the human would be like, you know, oh, there's sulfur dioxide, and I'm dying. Which is really the one real drawback with the pollution. Exactly. Sensor. When you have humans doing this, it takes its toll on uh, you know not only their senses but their health. Mm-hmm. So it does make you wonder why they would send people in there. Precisely. And I, you never I found guess, out? No. I never had a clue. And as a matter of fact, 
Uh, it was never spoken of in any of the articles I read when I was researching this, but um, it seemed to me the big elephant in the room. Like, these people are going to die horrible deaths in the next few years. Right. Well, and, and also, there it seems like their smell would uh, deteriorate or at least be you know neutralized or something over time. Yeah, so. they're, they're recertified every three years. The schedule was every three years they would be recertified. So I guess that kind of shows that they weren't going to be disbanded after the Olympics. Right. Um, because the, the, the olfactory sense does deteriorate over time. Sure. But the exposure to these harmful chemicals, especially in the training... Uh, seminar or segment of the of the uh, the, the whole pollution sniffing academy, um, I, I would think would really pose a serious health risk. Right, I would think they would use the you know we we're talking about the NASA thing a minute ago. The Enos is what they call it. It was just as cute. Yeah, of course, it is. I love that name. And uh, they'd use that on the space shuttle, right, to detect uh, ammonia leaks. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense that they wouldn't send a human. Up in the space shuttle to you know sniff for ammonia. Right, right. They seem like with like a sign around his or her <laughs> neck saying like uh, ammonia sniffer. Right, or I well, break for ammonia. Right. The, uh, the well, the other the other argument against that, uh, aside from you know that being a suicide mission, is that a human just can't smell it uh, as as well as this e nose can. Exactly. Um, you know, we can get you know x number of parts per million. Let's say you know, several hundred parts per million before we realize, oh, there's an ammonia leak and I'm dead. Right. This enos can sniff something at like I think one part per million. One part per million. You're right. So it it knows the ammonia leak is going on long before any human has even sniffed ammonia. And you know how noxious and, and smelly ammonia is. Sure. So that's that's the purpose of the enos, and it goes on. It's equally impressive um, down here on Earth. It can tell the difference between Coke and Pepsi. That's what I've read. That's so awesome. And not not by tasting, obviously. No, no, smelling. no. Just by smelling. Just by smelling. And the other one, uh, it can sense. It can it can sniff an electrical fire before the fire actually breaks out. Wow. Yeah. So so the Jet Propulsion Laboratory's E nose is a very valuable item to have on board when you're in space. Well, one thing I, I found interesting, Josh, when I was reading this was uh, that the way smell works is, is sort of like the way taste works. Yeah, we don't know. And I know we've talked about that. Well, I'm talking about specifically the the shape of the uh, smell yeah, receptors yes, and taste receptors. Yes. Well, that's a that's a theory. They have the same theory for uh, how we taste and how we smell, but the the they both boil down to the fact that they're they're theories. We don't know for certain. Exactly what's going on? These are these are pretty good theories. You want you want to tell them about the uh, the receptor idea? Well, it's it's about the the shape. Like a certain smell will fit a certain shape mm-hmm. for the, in the in the olfactory bundle. Is that what it's called? Yes, the olfactory nerve. Right. Well, well but these are receptors at the end. They're all specialized. Exactly, but not too specialized because one thing I found really interesting was that some of the molecules, uh, the shape and structure have completely different smells. Right. They're, they're, you can have two molecules that have the same shape, same structure. You can't tell anything, any difference uh, between them. Right. But they have, but they register as different smells, which kind of shoots a hole in the, I think it's called the lock and key theory, which they have for taste as well. Uh, certain, certain molecules unlock a right. certain receptor, right? Um, so we've got the same thing for taste and, and the same thing for uh, smell, and they're both equally shoddy theories, although they're, they're the predominantly accepted theories. Right, but if, if the smell molecules can be the same, if they, they can double up, does that explain things like maybe if uh, your fart smells like lasagna? I think if your fart smells like lasagna, you may have some sort of synesthesia. I'm not entirely certain. 
but you may want to consult a physician if your farts smell like lasagna. I wasn't speaking personally. I just use that as an example. That's okay, Chuck. Okay. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, I think you have different – your different receptors can be assaulted at the same time right. to produce a combination. Sure. Um, much like Jelly Bellies. You know, have you have you ever eaten Jelly Belly jelly beans? Uh, I'm not a jelly bean guy. These things are not jelly beans. All right. Anyway, if you get a bag of these, oh, things, I know what you mean. On like, the back, it says like you know, two blueberry plus one. I think toasted marshmallow creates like the flavor of like a um, a blueberry muffin. Right. So there's different recipes. You I've can come these. up with your own. It's very fun. Are these the ones that are kind of nasty too? Like they have booger and uh, no booger that I've come across. And- I think you're confusing uh, Harry Potter. With reality again, Chuck. yeah. Well, I have no idea. <laughs> um, Maybe I am. They don't. I don't know. Maybe they. If anybody has jalapeno flavored jelly beans, it would probably be Jelly Belly. Um, but they they they're generally pretty good. They they have some pretty good ones. Although they do have some that are non-traditional like coffee and cappuccino and well maybe we should send some of these to our pollution sniffing friends in china oh they could tell the difference i guarantee i bet yeah so uh you got everything you got that you got the pollution sniffers down yeah i feel sorry for these guys it doesn't sound like a great job they volunteered oh they did yes they volunteered no one pressed them into service german mao is long long dead so yes and they are paid probably pretty well so don't feel too terribly bad. They're doing this on their own accord, and they're helping you know the people in Guangdong Province by keeping them from harm. Hopefully, right. so yeah, we sold me good. And uh, you can learn more about pollution sniffers on HowStuffWorks.com. We have a search bar that's waiting just for you. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?